So it's 5.30. It's Wednesday, the 21st of December. I'm Paul, and this is the Mastering Portrait Photography Podcast. Hello, dear listener. It's good to be back. I'm sorry for the slight absence, but well, the run into Christmas is more of a clatter than a drift. We have been incredibly busy. Uh, this is going to be a very short introduction because the following interview with an incredible human being called Michelle Jennings is over an hour long simply because I just loved chatting with her. Uh, Michelle was the CEO, up until very recently, was the CEO of the Hearing Dogs, a charity that I've spoken about oh, probably dozens of times on this podcast. I've been meaning to have a chat with her for a long, long time. And for whatever reason, never quite got round to it. Uh, both of our diaries were pretty hectic. Anyway, the opportunity arose shortly after she had decided to move on to Pastures New, which is a shame because I would have loved to have talked to her while she was actually at uh, the Hearing Dogs. But nonetheless, nonetheless, an incredible person, an incredible flag waver for the deaf community, Michelle Jennings, who has been the CEO for the past 10 years, for a decade. And it was a lovely opportunity for the two of us to sit and chat. In fact, we probably chatted for about an hour before we hit record, and we could have recorded many more hours. Um, however, I started off the interview by asking her for a little bit of her history and how she ended up as the CEO of this incredible organisation. I had a career of 22, 23 years in the commercial world. So I'd worked for some quite well-known brands like pret as it became. When yeah. I was there, it was still in its infancy. And uh, uh, a much bigger organisation called the Rank Group, which had owned Odeon and Butlins and all sorts of leisure brands. And, uh, and Compass Group, who I actually worked for twice. Who As I, in the people who do catering for the big businesses. Big food service yeah, yeah. people. And, um, and, and I actually loved it. And I wasn't one of these people who, you know, used to sit there in their corporate office saying, I want to give back. I wasn't like a sort of martyrish person. Um, I just got to a stage in my career where I felt I wanted to do something that probably involved a bit less traveling or a bit less sort of full on, you know, sort of meetings after meetings. And I decided to take a bit of a break. And the other key reason was because my lovely son was 13 and I, I did have one of those epiphanies where I thought in five years time, he's going to be yeah. off at uni and I'm going to regret not having spent yeah. lots of time with him. So I wanted to look for a role that was more local. Yeah. And um, I was a good Catholic girl, so I went to Mass one day in Princess Risborough, and on the way back, I saw the hearing dog yeah. sign. And I thought, oh, I wonder if they need a volunteer. And I looked on their website, and lo and behold, there was a, a, a message on the website saying they were looking for somebody who had experience yeah. of leading teams and yeah. knew their way around a P&L, but also, you know, had an interest in dogs and the charity sector. And uh, I threw my hat in the ring with, I think, there were about 90 other people. And yeah. by chance and by great good fortune, I got offered the role. And there were a couple of, like most charities, you know, people often go in from the commercial sector yeah. and they can see, you know, where one or two of the hiccups are happening. You can see what's what's likely to be, you know, the, the issue that's holding back their development. And I kind of thought at the time, you know, well, I'll, I'll cure that and then I'll go back to corporate life, you know. 
and it just got completely under my skin. I mean, talk about a job that uses your heart and your head. You know, it just got completely under my skin and I had 10, yeah. 10 joyous years. Yeah, I, I have to admit, I, I was expecting you to be there. If it, I understand because it's for, the 40th anniversary, wasn't yeah. it, this year? The yeah. 40th birthday, I so suppose. So I joined in the 30th and left in the 40th. Yeah, 10 years, <laughs> 10 years well spent. Yes. And so you came out of corporate. What... Yeah, and you talked a little bit about the things that you know, people come out of corporate and then go into charitable work or yeah. charitable organisations, probably with their head full of five years worth of change. What was when you first encountered the hearing dogs? What was your initial? This might be a good idea to help them progress. Well, I th- I think I spotted quite early on, and this this isn't in chronological order, but I think some of the early spots were that they needed more volunteers right. because. If you have um, an army of very altruistic people, you can't ask too much of them. And we were in danger of asking too much of a fairly small group of volunteers. So on the very, very complicated premise of many hands make lighter work, actually growing the volunteer army was really quite important. And the advantage that also meant was that we could grow the number of deaf people, deaf children and deaf adults that we were able to help without having a commensurate increasing costs because we weren't having to recruit lots and lots more staff so we could actually increase our impact a lot more efficiently by asking volunteers to sign up but then along with that you have to make sure that it's an exciting place to volunteer and people are made to feel appreciated and that's that's a big investment but you can do it from the heart you can thank people effusively you can make sure that they enjoy feeling part of a family so that that was one core thing and the second thing was which was a bit more in the operational piece we had we, we would have dogs sort of getting stuck in training and you know, you would you would struggle to see how they could progress and actually unlocking some of that by giving the dogs a chance to mature and maybe not being quite so black and white about when you expected a dog to have achieved right, X okay, by Y. If you became a bit more relaxed about that, then you could actually loosen up the supply chain a little bit. And it seems a bit odd to talk about dogs and the supply chain. I was about to ask you that because you used a very corporate term, supply chain. Yeah. Did the hearing dogs, when you used terminology like that, did they have the first inkling that that's what you were talking about well, well they they did i mean you know charities have become you know, perfectly sophisticated and and supply chain is a very a very common used word now 10 years ago you're right probably less so mm. but it wasn't such a shock but i think in the context and i had to make it clear that i wasn't trying to use business language in a charity context and and i actually avoid that wherever possible i don't i fundamentally don't like the concept of charities becoming businesses right i actually like the idea of using good business disciplines to make a charity run better and to help more people or to help more dogs whatever its cause is that's that's the way but, I it, approach but is, that it. A, is that a linguistic um so you don't like using business language you don't want charities to become businesses but fundamentally business charities are businesses you, well they I, still I disagree P&L. yeah I, I, I actually disagree with that because I think if you don't portray the charity's objectives and its cause with heart externally then you've got a problem you will lose support it has to have that heart element to it behind the scenes yes of course you want that PL, and I used to I used to watch that PL <laughs> every week believe me 
money and I used to get daily reports yeah. you know of what the yeah, income yeah. was and the fundraising because of course you know particularly for, for the charity that I ran it didn't get any government support so everything yeah. was reliant on its reputation on how it engaged with its supporters what its values were yeah. those were the core things about it so let me ask you a question on that Obviously, you know, this podcast is great and I get to talk to really interesting people. <laughs> but in the end, I'm boiling all of it down to how you think as a photographer in a business. Mm-hmm. So if I've heard you, if, if I've heard rather than just, or if I've listened rather than, whichever way around it is, paid attention. <laughs> um, you're still talking about it as a business, but it's a business that fundamentally its goal is to do good. It starts that way around. Its goal is not to make money. Its goal is to do something that is profoundly for the assistance of others i mean that's the that's the hero yes but that, but but actually i i still resist the temptation to call it a business because i think that puts a different layer on it, Does it? i think it's the use of good sound business principles you know to make sure that the organization runs as efficiently as possible yeah. so that the organization's impact is really, really as best as it can be. Because if you're squandering money on all sorts of things, back of house, and you haven't got your P&L under order, and you're not keeping an eye on the income, then you're not going to have as good an impact. And then that will impact how the charity feels, how how it... You've actually got to give it a little bit of slack... An organisation like a charity, in my mind, has to have a little bit of slack in its execution because you are presented with people or with animals who have needs that you can't predict. A business, you can generally predict its needs. You can predict to a degree how the consumer is going to behave. The the charity's beneficiaries or, you know, whether it's it's animals, they, they can't quite, you can't predict them quite so much. I get that. The reason I'm laughing, you can't see it on the podcast, of course, dear listener, uh, <laughs> but I'm grinning from ear to ear because, of course, as a photographer, you don't, you are a photographer first, yeah. in the same way that a charity is a charity first. But the mistake a lot of photographers make is not to pay attention to their business. And it sounds, there's a lot of, you can kind of see where I'm driving. Yes. I'm not a charity. We're not, as photographers, we're not charities. But we have to give ourselves a little bit of slack. Yeah. Because if all we did was try to make money, most of us, and this includes me, probably are not doing it the right way. Yeah, you know the the best model. I think the the, the photography studios that really really turn over big numbers are you know stack them high, get them through hard face business sales, hard face sales techniques, and they're yeah. out there, you know, and they do very well. And and but for instance, all the photographers that I mix with and, and us here. It starts with the heart and soul. Mm. I had a big salary in the city. I didn't need to come out and do this. I did it because I love it. Yeah. And I absolutely adore it. But you cannot ignore business principles. Mm-hmm. You are, I mean, we are a supply chain. You've used words that I, it's making me smile because you're using words <laughs> that I recognize because we supply photographs. There's a chain, even this morning, you know, I know that we have a client in on Wednesday and to give Sarah enough time to finish what she needs to do tomorrow. I've had to finish the pictures this morning before you came. Mm-hmm. Supply chain. It's a really standard supply chain model. Yes. You know, I've got inputs and outputs. I've got clients that pay for the outputs and I've got costs involved in doing the inputs. And it's just a business, <laughs> but it's not. It's it's the soul and the heart. And actually, in the end, that's what's attractive yeah. to our clients. And I'm guessing that's what's attractive to the volunteers, certainly the volunteer side yeah. of um 
I mean, I, I, I think when you build a volunteer family, uh, you know, you have to engage, you have yeah. to put that heart into it and you have to be utterly genuine about your gratitude for what yeah. people do. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it's what makes us human, isn't it? You know, there's, the, you, you, can, you can run businesses. In, as we move into the future, there'll be more processes and businesses taken over by machine learning, mm-hmm. you know? So actually <laughs> what, what makes us human is the heart, yeah. is the effort, yeah. is that deep felt need to actually communicate and engage. Yeah. And that's what is your point of difference, isn't it? In, yeah, in, yeah. As a photographer, you know, I said to you before we, before we started chatting before that, you know, if you can look into the soul of a photography client, then you get that engagement and they're probably much more likely to relax and the and the the shoot will be a much more pleasant yeah. environment. Well, it's true, I, I, but I love the way you use look into their soul. I, I still think that's a little bit deep. Probably, probably. I just chat and listen and chat. <laughs> and the, the thing about being a photographer, at least a portrait photographer, is I need you to shut up. Are you saying you're superficial, Paul? Yes. You're not really interested. As, no, I, that, that's, 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 don't. Shush. No, not at all. Because our clients are fascinating. You know, I get, all I do all day, every day, is spend time talking with clients. Why I can't yeah. do product. Or, or landscapes because a landscape I'd have to sit on a hillside before dawn wait for the sun on my own wait for the sun to come up on my own take a photograph and all I really want to do is chat to someone but that rich cornucopia of clients that you have isn't that what makes it special to do oh, what you clients, do yeah 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 and I felt the same about volunteers yeah. you know I mean I learned very early on that you know volunteers my goodness you underestimate volunteers at your peril yeah. you know you, you you engage with somebody simply because they might be just doing casual dog walking for you once a week and then you take the moment to have a chat with them and you find out they were, you know, finance director of an ad agency or something. And you peel back these layers. But altruistically, they're giving their time. And I find that extraordinary. I I did genuinely photograph. I'm sure he said he was a naval commander. (laughs) For real, one of your volunteers. It wouldn't surprise me. Ex-Navy, in charge of, I mean, really senior. Whitehall, the whole works. It would not surprise me because the hinterland of some of our volunteers was just extraordinary. And yet we had this amazing pleasure of of interacting them with them just at this point yeah. in time when they said no I've got a few hours to spare or I've got space in my home and space in my heart to give yeah. to a charity so 10 years ago 11 years ago 11 years ago yep. I think I started at the hearing dogs maybe uh-huh. a bit maybe is I think it was technically two MDs before you joined <laughs> it's a bit longer then because I I came for interview in November 2011 right I started so. in January 2011 okay so 11 so years a few months before us yeah um, and I was brought in fundamentally because people regarded or, or the worry was that people viewed the hearing dogs as a dog charity yes. or dog based charity. And I was brought in as a portrait photographer purely and simply to try and emphasize that it's about people. Yeah. Do you think in the 10 years or 11 years since I started, 10, 10 and a bit years since you did, do you think we've managed to make that point? As it has it at that improved? Well, I, I used to talk, as, as Chief said, I used to often talk about the pen, swinging the pendulum between whether some people perceived us as a dog charity and whether some people perceived us as a, right. as, as a people charity. Yeah. And actually, you can't really change your audience's deeply felt view. So what you have to do is listen to what your audience is saying. And if they are chiming more with the dog aspect, then you... St- 
gently swing the pendulum towards that side. If they're charming more with the people aspect, you gently swing the pendulum. So to use that lovely oft-used phrase, you know, I don't think it's quite as binary as just a dog (laughs) or or, or a people charity, but but, but it is there to help deaf people. You know, it's not an animal welfare charity. It is there to help deaf children and to help deaf adults. And and since we merged with Hearing Link to help people with all levels of hearing loss. It just happens that one of its most extraordinary endeavours is it does it through dogs. Yes. You know, and that is incredibly engaging. And, uh, you know, I mean, I often say my dog looks into my soul, you know, when I look at him, I think he can read my soul. He can think my my deepest thoughts. And you find that with assistance dog partners, they they have such a close connection with their animal that it just transforms their life. Well, there's kind of two components, aren't there, that, you know, there's the... I'm going to be brutal in my language. There's the hearing aid component. Yes. The smoke alarm's going off. Yeah. Um, yeah, funny story. We actually set your smoke alarms off the other day. We emptied the grange. <laughs> <laughs> Told them they'd hit the button too much on the smoke machine. And off it went. Uh, so there's the alarms going off, doorbell ringing. Yeah. That's the side of it. And then there's the other side of it, which is that's actually now a much more widely understood and appreciated Indeed. part of owning dogs. Is there's the mental welfare side of it. Yes. You know, it's a great, well, it's a great contributor to cures for anxiety giving people confidence, you know, just companionship. Yeah. Um, and also a reason to get out of the house because you've got to walk them. There's no getting away from it. You know, certainly the Spaniels, if you don't walk them, they Absolutely. chew things, <laughs> uh, as our Rufus was. So there's this kind of really interesting sort of um, two-pronged benefit. Absolutely. Um, and then there's the third one, which and this, so I learned something really early on. And and again, I was listening to this and think I'm, I'm a dreadful human being for what I'm about to say. I, I apologise. <clears throat> So in our client base, we've had people die from brain tumours and cancers. And mm-hmm. so when I was approached to help and donate some of our time for the hearing dogs, yep. willingly I said yes, because no one ever said no to Nikki, <laughs> who was head of comms at the time. Very persuasive. Lady. Oh, Nick, she still is. She still is. I still talk to her. Uh, so of course I said yes, but there's a little voice in my head that was like, shouldn't we be doing it? For a charity like a cancer charity or something mm-hmm. that's, you know, big tick item, we need to cure cancer. Mm-hmm. And I don't know necessarily whether I completely came around until I met a little guy called James. So uh, I won't give his last name out because obviously, you know, that's not I fair know on the family. I immediately who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know who I'm talking about. And I got chatting to James's mum and you provided a team dog. I think you, mm. we still call them team dogs. Yeah. Uh, you did back then, which I think from recollection was a quite a big labrador for a little fella he's only what he must have been eight (laughs) nine years old so uh, infant school age and i i still a little bit uh, maybe we should be doing this with charities and make profound life-saving you know oxfam let's change things around the world or maybe cancer charities brain tumors and things and i got chatting to his mum and his mum said a couple of bits she said it's changed his life fundamentally not just a little, mm-hmm. fundamentally. Yep. And it was on two fronts. Firstly, companionship. Everywhere he goes with a dog, people want to be his friend. It gave people a reason to talk to him. Yes. And with his hearing aids in, he had enough, um, he could hear enough that it wasn't problematic and he yep. could have people around him and he was coping. The other bit, which I'd never appreciated, and this, her line, her, her couple of sentences changed my view of all of it, and I've since gone on to spend much more time listening to recipients and understanding the challenges of an invisible disability, which essentially is what it is, right? Mm-hmm. And she said, the teachers thought he was naughty at school. He was underperforming, 
couldn't really get him to pay attention. They thought he was yeah. naughty. And all it was was he never slept because he took his hearing aids yes. out. It went dark and it went silent and it freaked the poor little fella out. Yeah. And with his hearing dog at his side on the mat beside the bed, he slept soundly. Mm. And because he was getting a good night's sleep and the companionship, and now at school he's a yeah. high performer, he changed from being a child that was being labelled, labelled as, as I, don't, I don't know what the label would be, but not a good one, mm-hmm. to being a star of the show. Yeah. And it was all thanks to the hearing dog, in a way that I had never understood, mm. and never appreciated. And of course, now I talk to the volunteers and I talk to the partnerships and I've, you know, this was early, this was only within yeah. probably eight, the first 18 months. Now I get it. Oh, I got it then. Yes. And I just think it's, Incredible, but for me, it's is it is you know we use the aesthetics of dogs. That's why I'm there to to get the message yep. across. But it's for me, I love those stories, the people yeah. stories, and the smiles and the laughter and the people I've met. Unreal, you included. Yeah. I th- I think your story, the anecdote about uh, about James and his sleeve, is is a really valuable one because actually it's so overlooked because a mm. lot of people just. They've never had reason to think about it, mm. but people who wear hearing aids have to take their hearing aids out yeah. when they sleep. And people who even have cochlear implants, you know, that, that that's disconnected. So they are in an extremely lonely world. Yeah. And if they wake in the middle of the night and they, they are anxious, then that just disrupts their sleep pattern. And over a prolonged period of time, and particularly for a child, that can be very, very, very disturbing. Yeah. And so that security that the hearing dogs provide in that context is, is terrific. But I had a similar one. And I had a couple who came up to me and took me to one side and said, you know, you probably never realised this, but you pretty much saved our marriage. Yeah. Because we had years of our child climbing into bed with us at night, unable to feel secure. And now she's in her own room, she's got the dog, and actually, you know, we can all function as a family healthily again. And I, those things were very, very special. But isn't it intriguing that in a way... They're invisible benefits yes. in an invisible disability. Yes, yes. <laughs> they sort of that, you know, and we need to get out and talk about all these things yeah. and make it clear. This is how this helps. Yes, in a, in a way that a hearing aid can't. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it, it's a quite profound. It really is, and technology will continue to provide, you know, assistive devices yeah. for people's hearing to be to be helped. And um, you know, thank goodness for those. You know, I mean, connecting to your Apple phone is terrific. You mm. know, and there's, you know, I know of some artificial inter- intelligence um, uh, devices and and work in that area, which would be potentially transforming but there are many different types of hearing loss yes which is also not appreciated um but that you touched on this earlier that appreciation of the mental health aspects of loneliness is incredibly important because loneliness is such so associated with people losing their hearing so whatever you can do to to assuage that is in, incredibly beneficial and yeah. and a four-legged social networker like a hearing dog really does provide that solution. So when you stepped in to the charity, because I'm, I'm going to, you've never mentioned it and there may be a hearing loss in your family around you, but you've never ever mentioned that. So you came in as a, yep. as a very successful uh, business person out there in corporate and came into the charitable sector, the tertiary sector or whatever euphemism there is for it. <laughs> what do they call it? There's a name for it, isn't it? The, the third sector. The third sector. Yeah. Yep. Tertiary is probably the right word. <laughs> um, and how did you go about appreciating, because you, you've talked about it very eloquently for a very long time. How did you go about appreciating and understanding deafness? And then I guess where I'm driving is how can 
people like myself and people listening to the podcast, slight irony of, you know, all of that. <laughs> um, how do we better appreciate the challenges of uh, the deaf community? Okay, that's quite a broad range of Sorry, yeah, it's, question. sorry I'll, it's right, I'll take you back to it. I kind of know where I'm trying to get to because the reason I ask, right, is, is I learned quite quickly because a couple of the trainers who I photographed would get quite cross with me <laughs> because I do this. I'm talking quite happily to someone and then midway through the sentence, I'm talking to someone beside me. And then I move back, back, back to face them and realise they've got a look of complete confusion because they were lip reading in the street, in the pub in a library, on a train, how do people get better than I am at making sure that without... It's, it's that thing you can't say to someone, are you deaf? You, you, you can't. Yeah. Um, in the same way, you can't say to someone, are you pregnant? You know, it's, it's just you don't. Um, but it would be really helpful if we could or if there's a way of us reading the room a little, certainly yeah. me. You know, so yeah, yeah, you, yeah but the reason I'm driving this a two prong question is because clearly you came out of a world of, of, I'm guessing, with very few people around you who are deaf. At that time, yes. Mm. Yeah, I'd say. But I, I had a bit of a background um, of, of being considerate towards people right. with, um, with, with, with different health challenges. My, my, my dad had been a GP for over 40 years. Um, my mum was a GP and then became a, a, a hospital uh, consultant. And my sister's a GP. And, I've got other members of the family in the health service. Yeah. So there was a bit of an, yeah. you know, an understanding of, of just maybe taking a step back and not maybe, you know, thinking everything was on the surface, that there might be other things going on. Yeah. Um, now, ironically, and as a little bit of an aside, I can remember my father reading out a article in The Lancet about medical detection dogs. And they were both big animal lovers, my parents. We had a, like a menagerie at home. <laughs> and my father even, you know, he, he, he needed anesthetized a dog that had been injured on the road and amputated its leg because you could do that sort of thing in those yeah. days but also it was the most humane thing to do and and he had all the facilities to do it but he was an incredible animal lover and we adopted that little corgi and had a three-legged corgi called did the bambi queen, did the queen miss her <laughs> probably <Yeah. laughs> but they were real animal lovers so in, in a very roundabout way i had an understanding of community because that was you know in the days when general practice was in the community for years and years I had an understanding of maybe looking at people's health issues that were not entirely visible and I had an understanding of how animals could assist to a degree so you know there was a there was a cornucopia again to use yeah. that word of, of of thoughts going on and then um, my father had a lot of respect for a, a man who was a patient of his in his younger days called Jack Ashley. And Jack Ashley, um, uh, he died in 20, 2012, but he was an MP who became profoundly right. deaf. And he campaigned very much for subtitles on TV. And he had a yep. huge amount of admiration for him. Um, so I then have a mother-in-law who's profoundly deaf and um, she lost her hearing in her 50s. She's right. now 92. <laughs> But she lived in in a uh, she moved to an apartment where where dogs were not allowed, and she took on surface value that even if she'd have wanted an assistance dog, a hearing dog would not have been allowed. And of course, oh. it was only when I started wearing for, working for hearing dogs, I was able to tell her about the law that yeah. assistance dogs would have been permitted. And by that stage, she felt that time had moved on, and she was, you know, her hearing loss was being helped in other ways. But I think in terms of of you know people becoming more more 
aware and considerate of those with hearing yeah. loss. Do you know, I have a lot of hope for society. I yeah. think we're becoming a kinder society, actually. I think there are pockets which are troublesome, um, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> we elect them. But I think we, I think we talk an awful lot more openly about people's health issues yeah. and people's disabilities. Yeah. Um, I personally think, for example, that the Paralympics, the London Paralympics, were an absolute transformative event um, because they made us all talk about the Paralympics just like it was the Olympics. And I think ever since then, it's gone on and on. Um, we had the pleasure of meeting Ellie Simmons a few years ago yeah, at Hearing yeah, yeah. Dogs. I didn't get and, to meet her. Uh, she was tremendous. Yeah. And, and you know, I think that that was... The London 2012 Paralympics was a real step forward. And, of course, in Buckinghamshire, where yeah. Hearing Dogs is based, it is the home of the Paralympics. Yeah. Um, so I think, um, I think, actually, as society, we are more aware... And I think, you know, it isn't uncommon now for people to look for a hearing aid behind somebody's ears and then position themselves in a way that makes lip reading easier. And I think, you know, um, uh, if if you tap somebody on the shoulder who you are pretty sure has got hearing loss and just again, you know, show consideration, I don't think there's any harm in that at all. People like Rose Ailing Ellis, yeah, who runs Strictly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she's done tremendous work for making um, uh, deaf awareness more on the agenda. And of course, British Sign Language is becoming more talked about yeah. and more adopted. So actually, I think the future is brighter. I don't, I don't think that we are um, going in the wrong direction. I think more people are considerate of people with disabilities. And we talk about invisible disabilities, such as autism and yeah. hearing loss far more too. So, yeah, yeah I'm optimistic. I, I, I have to say, I, I was laughing. <laughs> Guilty pleasure. Strictly come dancing. Can't help myself. Don't judge me. <laughs> um, I love it. I love it. But uh, an awful lot of the thread this year is has been about uh, mental health. Yes. And I was even last night I said to Sarah, isn't it intriguing how certainly when I was growing up, mental health awareness was not really a thing. No. No. I knew people who suffered. I knew people who, well, I know people who've committed suicide. You know, in in my youth, and it was never, it was never really spoken about. Yes. I don't think, or certainly not openly. Yeah. And now it's exactly the same as any other type of health. Yes. And we're on the right path. Yeah. To at least the openness about it. Yeah. I think we're a long way off. Some of the things that create those problems. Mm-hmm. You know, I think of all the years, this year to be talking about people's mental welfare. Absolutely. We, we talk about it sitting here in our business and all the rest of it and on the telly. But the reality is that there's an entire nation, there's an entire world right now pressurized. Mm-hmm. And that's going to have a huge impact on mental health. Yep. I think we have a way to go. I love your optimism. <laughs> I really do. It's one of my questions, actually, is, is my... Sorry, I'm going to pour some water. You feel free if you want some. Um, otherwise, I'm, you can, I'm going to do it for the microphone because it just makes a nice sound effect. I'm a sound guy. I like sound as well as, as everything else. Um, so, obviously, being the a business leader, CEO, MD, whatever, I liked the old title, if I'm honest. I liked the managing director title because the clue was in the title. Well, managed they to, direct they used to call them um, a lot a lot of charity heads used to be called director generals that's a little bit weird that sounds like <laughs> you're you know the dg it sounds like a politician 
Um, but I think the chief executive officer. I mean, it's, it's a, these are very, very American terms that I think. Oh, well, that imported. has that has crept in over the last fifteen yeah. years or so, and now you even get headmasters and headmistresses of schools being called chief executives. Yeah, so I, I think, I think um, and there's a phrase, you know, the C-suite. You know, is used yeah, in business. I don't like these, it. These are all phases, to be perfectly honest. I know, but something I, else. I will really come along. like a very lo- in Britain we used to call them MDs, managing <laughs> managing director, and it it did what it said on the yeah, tin, like you manage your direct. And that kind of leads me to the the reason I think some people end up as CEOs because they like the word executive <laughs> and chief. I mean, they're great, right? It's a perfect combination for people that want to join that club. Whereas the MDs always struck me as the grafters, the doers. And that's why I like the title. And and you clearly, my interactions with you have always been your grafting. You know, I, I watch you in work mode. Of course, I've watched you in work mode. You were my client. Um, and whether it was working a room, whether it was telling someone to move something, whether it was asking about stuff that would help with the photography, whatever it was, you're, you're a grafter. <laughs> but every interaction I've had with you and every interaction I've watched you have, including when I photographed you recently, without you telling me you were leaving the Hearing Dogs <laughs> at the 40th celebration, this huge smile, you know, and I guess... Someone in this industry, in our industry, as portrait photographers, this is obviously the bit of photography. Photography is a vast array of things. And I know, you know, lots of photographers don't have to do very much human interaction at all. But I do all day, every day. Yeah. And I guess where I'm heading with the conversation is part of the skill of your job, and I'm guessing also ours, is to be in the moment, to be present, to be joyous. But how do you do that when you're looking after a really very big organisation with all the challenges that go with it, you know, political challenges, personnel challenges, financial challenges, stra- strategic challenges. Yet every time I've interacted with you, as you are today, you're <laughs> grinning. And how much of that grin is desperation? And how much of that grin is you're naturally a happy person? And how much of that grin is it's the job to be happy? How do you kind of do it? Oh, <laughs> Well, Sorry. Thank, thank, thank you for the for the lovely comments you made. First of all, because that that's that's really really nice. I'm um, I'm quite good at being in the present, um, and and I do I'm 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 not I don't spend a lot of time in my own head. Right. Um, I think a lot more about the person I'm talking to. So I often try and think about how you, you know I I, I want to brighten your day. I don't want to make your day worse. I want to make your day better. Yeah. And you know you get a lot of practice at that when you're running a, a happy charity. I have to yeah. say you know and. Saying thank you to people is very good for your own mental health. Interesting. You know, I, yeah, yeah. I find actually, I used to joke that I would come home and my jaw would be aching, <laughs> but it would be aching from the most delightful reason, yeah. which is that I would have spent from nine o'clock in the morning through to five o'clock in the afternoon saying thank you to people and finding different words. I'm, you know, my thesaurus, thesaurus in my head was just going, you know, trying to think about different ways I could, I could remember to thank people for this. Because particularly when you're so reliant on volunteers, you can never underestimate the value of, of, of true gratitude. People are giving up their time to help yeah. your organisation enormously. So I'm prone to a touch of Irish melancholy. I'm, you know, I can have my down days Do as you? well. But but I'm, I get a lot also from the people I'm talking to. So yeah. if I'm talking to somebody who I think has actually got more challenges than me, but is still smiling through or still yeah, seeing to see the best <laughs> in things, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it, it brings, yeah. it really does pull me up 
short it's one of those sort of you know for goodness sake you know I, why am I feeling sorry for myself you know and all this is 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 going on in their lives um so yeah I I, I get a lot from the people that I'm sitting with you know, you've been very smiley today so it's very <laughs> easy for me and I, and I think I am, you know, maybe that's something that's a great skill for photographers too is that actually if you're trying to get the best out of people is that you know you you focus on them you, you try not to bring your baggage into the into the studio but the interesting part of that puzzle and i think there's a there's a i think there's a parallel with comedians and performers in in my business <laughs> and i i guess i'm i'm kind of paralleling that a little bit into the world of a ceo which is that i am naturally happy particularly when i'm around people yes they just make me smile it's, it's, it's rare there are people i've not gotten with of course that happens right but on the whole People make me happy. I'm, yeah. I'm in a in a in a true sense of an extrovert. I'm an extrovert because being around people recharges my yes. batteries. I just love it. But that doesn't change the insecurity and the melancholy that goes with being, particularly in a creative role. And it must do for you too when you're trying. You know the the programs you introduced at the Hearing Dogs are long term programs, mm-hmm. which means they've got challenges and delivery dates and. Things slipped. Don't yep. don't think I didn't notice that <laughs> there were piles of bricks around for a lot longer than you'd intended. Um, I'm not. I, I yeah, find me anybody who's building building project comes in on time. <laughs> but the point being that when you go home, you carry that home with you, and mm-hmm. I I never saw you carry it around. At least in the interactions we had, and of course the interactions we have are not the same as interactions you had with people in your immediate team or, or the, you know the management team that you worked with or you know whatever I'm, I work into you so my job is to bring whatever's required professionalism <laughs> but joy as well and you were never unless there was something up you know you were only going to but I guess it's more nuanced than yeah that. and I am digging a little bit to find out <laughs> what makes you cross and, and how do you cope with it because we all have it yeah yeah. Well, I'm I'm similar to you in that I get an awful lot from interactions with people. I'm at my best when I'm yeah. exchanging. So, um my mum I even uh, my mum had a great saying and um uh, I actually started her eulogy when she passed away. I started her eulogy with this line from uh, from Shakespeare and it was um, nothing is neither neither good nor bad, but thinking makes it so. Right. Yeah. And so she wasn't a great fan of overthinking things. She believed in action and you know, you said just earlier on that you know you always saw me grafting and mm. because I do think as a chief exec of a charity like ours and it's not the same for every organization, yeah. but of a chief you know, you've got 30 acres of land and 3 and a half thousand volunteers and 1600 dogs that you're responsible for let alone all the beneficiaries whose life you want to make better um you know you kind of have to you properly have to walk the walk and talk the talk you know you can't just talk nonsense in a meeting room and then expect your team to just go out and execute you've got to either lead by example or at least you know roll up your sleeves and do do the job so um so i get a lot from that um but yeah, you know, I have times in the middle of the night when I wake up and I still, you know, I can get a little bit too reflective about things that I wish I'd done a different way. Um, I found it sad during the pandemic when we all got used to dealing with each other on screen. Yeah, um, I was going to ask you about that. I I don't think that is na- is 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 a naturally good place for me. Said one extrovert to another. <laughs> Unfortunately, this has just become a really quite effective echo chamber. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you totally. Of course yeah. I do. 
I really think. I mean, I, I, I have. I'm prone to say that if you want to build trust, you have to do that face to face, in person. Yeah. And if you want to resolve conflict, the best place to do that is face to face. You have yeah. to be brave and courageous. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But the best place by far is to do that face to face and in a room where you can see all of your physical movement you know you, i talk with my hands let me yeah, look yeah. at me here i'm worried about knocking over the, Sorry, I'm watching over the, the microphone. Stand. it's fine i've got an eye on it <laughs> and and that's all of me you know so for a moment you might see my face you know cloud over but actually my body is saying something which balances that out that yeah. shows that i'm actually still in a very happy place yeah. whereas on a screen sometimes that can be all you see yeah. and i think um I think a mix is good. Of course, I see the efficiency and it was great for business continuity and, and organizational continuity when we had to during the pandemic. But I think, you know, face-to-face interaction, you, nothing beats it. I mean, I use business continuity. I love, I love it when you bring these business terms into the charity <laughs> they didn't want to talk about like a business, but that's fine. Don't worry about that. We'll glance over it. We'll glance over it. <laughs> you, can't, you can't take the business out of the leader. I'm just sorry. Um, you know, from from where I am, I'm. I mean, the, the the fear I have is all of the biases. I have, a, like everybody, we have biases, right? The things that we think without knowing we're thinking them, and so I am really quite anti remote working. I don't like it. I don't find it comfortable. I don't think it's efficient. I don't think. I certainly don't think it's creative, and it's certainly not very human. Mm-hmm. You know, I you're watching somebody who you're supposed to care about in the same way you're watching the TV. I mean, there's something profoundly flawed with that. I think the sadness is that people are missing the difference between doing your job and having an effective team. Yes. And, you know, we've become, I think, well, we're certainly running the risk of becoming incredibly self. It's better for me to work from home. I don't have to use time on the train. I can use time just sitting, you know, I can use that time more effectively. Mm-hmm. And they, I think we think of the term effectively as being, I can create my spreadsheet. I can write my document. I can do my plan. As opposed to, I can listen to the things going on around me in my team that make not just the job enjoyable, but make the job effective. Mm-hmm. And I come from a, you know, my background was working in big teams. And we every day we'd have a team meeting. Now, a lot of my team moaned about it. But for at least half an hour, we'd go around 30 or so people who were working on the project. Yeah. And it wasn't I wanted everyone. It wasn't I could understand what everyone was telling me. Some of these guys are more techie than me. It was I wanted the other people in all the other teams to listen while we were chatting. And oh, hang on, what you're doing affects what I'm doing. Yes. Or what you're doing. Oh, blimey, that saves me doing it. Yeah. And you don't get that. So you get this perception, I think. And I think my biased elderly male, I'm not that old, but you know what I mean, you know, bloke view, having been brought up in traditional industry or traditional corporate, is that there's a perception of efficiency, but it isn't really. It's a very siloed, I can do my job efficiently. And that's fine (laughs) if what you do is just look at data and do spreadsheets. It is not fine. If what you need to do is team working, yeah, but we're two right brainers talking to right, each other. Right, I'm going to say, yeah, the, 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 there's a bunch, there's a bunch of people who are left brainers yeah, who yeah. will find it much more. Yeah. And you know, for all those years that we spent working in London and looking yeah, forward yeah. to going to the pub and carrying yeah. on, I mean, you know, God, that was the thing I thought my son was missing out most yeah. on was that you know you wouldn't be able to yeah. you know go to the pub on a Friday night with his mates from work. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, going back to the point I said before about business continuity, I think the screen is fine. You know, if you frankly, yeah. if you've got minutes from a previous meeting and you're just going through progress absolutely fine but creativity i don't 
make up things in my own head. I, I have an idea and then I bounce it off somebody else and somebody else gives it back to me 10% even better and then I layer on another 25% and then it comes back 25% yeah, better. That's right. So the whole thing grows yeah. and then hopefully before you've signed a cheque, you yeah, actually yeah. have somebody Somebody's who says to you, yeah. <laughs> you know. But, Are you sure? <laughs> but you, we were talking earlier about when we built the, the restaurant at, yeah, at, yeah, at, at the charity, you know, and, and there was a feral chunk of me sitting they're going you know if we build it they will come yeah you know because i yeah yeah i, I did feel i had a vision i did i could visualize it i could how much stand there did your vision visualize it how much did your vision change during the delivery of that because obviously you, you would have started i'm guessing with a big blank sheet of paper mentally if not physically and this is what we're going to do how um, much of that evolved into something that it is now where did you start well, it was, it's really boring answer. I mean, we started wanting it to be a bit more square foot, but yeah. the planners said, no, we're right. going to limit you to this, basically. Yeah. But in terms of its look and its feel and its position at the yeah. head of the drive and all that sort of thing, nothing really changed in that regard. And of course, as I, as I explained to you earlier, you know, it... it just grew and grew once it opened because it became much more than just a restaurant or a visitor center mm. or a, a you know a retail shop it became a place where people could sense and feel the values yeah. of the charity and because they could feel the values of the charity they could see it at work and the volunteers around them or the staff around them and the dogs of course mm. then people started to feel i think this place might be worthy of me donating my time or me donating my spare funds yeah. or me even considering leaving a legacy so it became a gateway to giving is yeah. the phrase that I, I like to use yeah. and and that's when you know you would never have have envisaged that through screen conversations you had to was, live and a, breathe yeah. the thing well also I was, gonna, I was about to say that as a as a gateway to giving your phrase that doesn't work remotely you no. have to bring people you have to bring people Yes, you have to see and feel and touch the yeah. values of an organisation. Yeah. And that's whether it's a charity or whether it's a commercial organisation, yeah, yeah. I think. You know, I, I mean, I, I am, without sounding like a, like, like a trite phrase, but I do think everything be, begins with values. Right. I think if you keep on going back to the values, and, and one of the key jobs, I think, of any chief exec, of any business leader, is to, be, is to make decisions. Yeah. And actually, if you're wavering on a decision, I have often found, if I just go back to the values... Yeah. It helps me make the decision. And, you know, it, it's, it's actually a great joy to create a community space. And that's what it's kind of morphed into, you know, is that people meet at the Grange. Yeah. And there are many people who come, you know, who don't really think that it's anything. They don't consciously be aware that it's a charity. But then as they enjoy the time there, they become aware that it's a charity. And often it underpins their reason yeah. for coming back. But, coming it's, back it's, but it's just really interesting that you started... I guess the premise was, well, we'll make X out. or I, I say make money, all right? So forgive me. I know it's a charity, but it still has to pay for itself. And it's still, yes. you know. Yep. So you built this incredible restaurant with a retail section at one end. And it's quite a big section to start with. And then gradually, you must have looked at the numbers and gone, okay, we've got a waiting list to, for people to come in and eat. And yep. we can make X margin on this and X margin on retail. We're going to slightly adjust that to better reflect the demands and also the profitability. Yes, and there are other things that happened at the same time. So the ability to to operate an online shop more effectively. Yes, of course. And yeah, then, yeah. you know, we were able to, if I can say it on your podcast, use Shopify, you know, so <laughs> very slick platform yeah. by which, so the shop became less of a retailing space yeah. and more of a showcase right. because 
if people liked what they saw, then they could go home Interesting. and and order it if they wanted to. Yeah. Um, but you're right, you know, the 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 joy of operating a, a busy restaurant, and of course the vibe it gives. You know, you don't quite get that from a gift shop all on its own. You know, the vibe no, yeah, that yeah. you get from a restaurant. Yeah. You know, and particularly one that's dog friendly and deaf friendly. Yeah. So it's completely considerate. It's not of... photographer friendly. Possibly not. No. <laughs> I have to queue for it. If I've got to get a photograph of someone at a table, I have to book. It's, it's packed. It's so you can't busy. get in. And of course, the food element is terrific as well. You yeah. know, we're blessed with a very talented chef. Yeah, he's great down and, there. The food's uh, and a wonderful team down there. So, um, so yeah, you know, that's that's been a great, great success and surprise um, in terms of all the added benefits that it's brought. Did you? Um, so you say surprise benefits. You were you surprised? Is the question? I knew. I I always thought it would be busy, and I thought it would give. Um, I mean, it's difficult to explain on the podcast because a lot of people who are listening to this won't, won't know the way it was. But it was basically an old, you know, an old farm and you mm-hmm. approached a very um, you know, pretty unwelcoming entrance. And so actually to give the organisation this beautiful entrance in a beautiful location of the Chiltern Hills, I thought it would be, I thought it would attract support. And yeah. I thought it would make the organisation, the charity, more well known. Um what I didn't forecast was the gateway to giving yeah. peace. The fact that we would get people coming in and coming again and coming again and then saying, do you know, I've been coming here several times and I really like it. I feel at home here. I feel like I'm part of the charity family and therefore to show it, I'd like to either donate my time by volunteering or donate my, my spur cash by yeah. taking out puppy sponsorship or even consider having a conversation with you about leaving a legacy. And that that was just a terrific added benefit. How do you go about tracking things like that? Because obviously, I mean, data is king, right? Yeah. But something as intangible as someone comes in for a cup of coffee and six months later they're a volunteer. Are there any mechanisms? Was Could you see from the opening of the grains that there was an uplift in people putting themselves forward to volunteer? Was it as simple as that or was it? We, we could see that. And I think, you know, going back to the very early part of the conversation, you know, we talked about using good business disciplines yeah. in the charity sector. And that's a classic example because yeah. actually having a really good CRM system, and, and the charity invested quite heavily in Microsoft 365 a few yeah. years ago. And that was terrific. And almost because it's not a charity specific um, platform yeah. as well just meant that it just gave us a great um, ability to use really good business disciplines so that's great and and using that data and and yes you know all organizations all charity organizations keep track of their their donors or their potential yep. donors but the balance again is nothing beats the human interaction yeah. and you might have somebody who says to you in january that you know i really like this place or i really like this charity and i'm thinking about leaving a legacy and then you might use your data to then go back to them six months later and it could be completely the wrong thing to do yeah. because they might have suffered another loss in their life yeah, yeah. or they might have suffered a, an illness and their mind might be completely off that idea and you being perceived as pushing it yeah, yeah. could just be exactly the wrong thing to do. So again, nothing beats the being on your feet, listening carefully yeah. but it comes back to what your, values, your audience right? says. Yeah. You know, how do you yeah. treat people? How do you want... Yes. to be seen to be treating people yes yeah and you know we, we've all heard about you know charities being perceived as being far too pushy and the, you know there was a whole um uh during sort of 2015 yeah, 2016 you know there was and and a lot of the data protection came in mm-hmm. as a result yeah. of that um 
And and yes, you know, possibly some organisations had gone too far, you know, and they were being too. This this is to my point, you know, you you can really overuse business principles yeah. in a charity, and I actually, think you can overuse you business principles in a business. Well, that's true, but if you're not. If you don't keep a keen eye to it, you know, you can actually lose support very, very quickly. Yeah. And don't forget, you know, charities need to be very protective over their reputation. Yeah. Because with social media being what it is, you know, you can take a you can take a misstep and you can take that misstep on social media at ten o'clock at night and the world has <laughs> changed by eight o'clock the next morning. Oh yes. And if you're not on it, yeah. you know, then my goodness, you know, charities particularly because of course charities are using social media I mean yeah. wonderful content and photographs like you have produced the two and a half two and million, half million <laughs> those beautiful <laughs> photographs have been you know very much part of the, Some chari- of them are good. the charity's I don't know you know success over yeah. the last the last decade so I think there's a difference between uh, talking with your audience and selling to your audience or even worse with a charity asking them to donate yes I guess is more, even more brutal I think it's all right to talk with is it all right? It must be. You've got to have a dialogue. Oh, it's absolutely right to talk with. And and if you didn't talk with people who you thought might be minded to donate, you'd never find yeah. out one way or another. Mm. And, you know, th- there is the reverse of that, which is that if you, if you don't talk, then sometimes a potential donor might simply think that you don't need the money. Yeah. You don't need yeah. the support. You don't need the volunteering. And therefore, they might be reticent about... So you have to have a conversation around it. Um I'm a big believer in being very sensitive around asking. You know, I think you should really tread carefully around asking and you you know, you should get to know people carefully about what's going on in their life. Um, particularly around when people are considering leaving a legacy, yeah. you know? Um and there's, there's lots in the charity sector, you know, there's lots of talk about legacy marketing or whatever. You know, I, I yes, legacy marketing as a phrase, okay, but you have to be careful about what is happening in people's families and yeah. what is happening with cost of living challenges, you know, with the sort of, of challenges that people are having now. A very broad sector of society will be challenged in terms of their disposable income. And so, you know, you have to be very mindful of, of, of you know, what you ask people. Um, you, know. you know, children in need is coming up and Every year they expect children in need, you know, will we'll, we'll produce less, will raise less. And every year the great British public are incredibly supportive of yeah. it. Um, and I find it staggering. You know, the UK is an amazing place for, for philanthropy um, at all levels. You know, we have 170,000 charities in this country. Yeah. So we have the same number of charities as there are words in the English dictionary. Is that right? I didn't know how many words are in English dictionary. Yeah. So, oh, brilliant. You know? Only you'd know that. <laughs> it's a little nerdy fact for it, you. It's not a little nerdy, Michelle. That's a proper nerdy fact, all right? I didn't but, know that. But isn't it wonderful that we have a society that actually allows people to set up charities for causes that they believe in? So, you know, you were talking before about how you were wrestling with whether you should support, a, you know, maybe a, a cancer charity, you know. Yeah. Um, and and actually, I think it's wonderful that we, we don't have competing causes. We are actually a society that allows causes to be fundraised for because... Yeah. Certain things can be hugely detrimental to families to cope with. And um, and without some of those smaller charities then growing and developing awareness, we wouldn't be, you know, in the place that we're in. Now, that's not to say I don't think that there's some duplication in the charity sector. Yeah. I, th- I think there is scope for more merging and more, um, uh, you, you know, a reduction of duplication of effort. But... 
But generally, I think this is a very, very nice country that we are able to to have those number of causes supported. Someone needs to tell the press that. I know, I know. But I've 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 learned to read less and less of the uh, mainstream media. <laughs> I have how to you, say, that's, right, that's fair enough. That's how, another reason that I'm, I have a smile on my face. Well, I, true, I but just I, don't read mainstream media anymore. But I, I mean, I I just feel. So I had someone work for me when I was at Accenture. She, she was in our team, and. We, at the end of every few months, we had to do 360s and coaching and everything else. And, and really, she was brilliant, except for the fact she never had a clue what was going on in the world. <laughs> and I literally heard, I said, you, everything you do is great. Could you please buy a paper at the beginning of your tube ride and consume it? It can be any paper you like. So at least when you're talking to our clients, you know what they're talking about. I mean, I'm not an expert in this, but, you know, the mainstream media, particularly around sort of comments that they invite from 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 people who are digesting news on online. You know, it, it is designed to be to provoke negative oh, yeah. responses yeah, yeah. because right, that, you're, you're well. much more likely to post a negative response than a positive response. And then that increases the ad revenue. Yeah. And that's how the algorithms work. So, you know, I don't I don't really curse for my thoughts to be manipulated in that way so you know i tend to to go to something that's very banal really i mean i tend to use news 24 more than anything right. bbc news 24 yeah. tends I like to news be 24 yeah i mean it just gives you the facts and some great international reporters and yeah, i, lo- I love world that. news i love finding out all the stuff <laughs> oh, we've got a lot of listeners in the state so i've yeah. been watching uh, midterms well i like think that's, that's fascinating i'm not i'm less worried about the personalities you know but uh, but i do think it's fascinating how uh, how the politics in the states has really yeah. shifted and um yeah yeah I, I, but but i'd rather have a good dose of fact rather than opinions um, yeah. I was going to ask you something um, so don't take this the wrong way <laughs> feel free to take this the wrong way but don't uh, a glass of water before this yeah one. you can have a glass of whatever you like so I can throw it uh, <laughs> <laughs> just don't hit the microphones with a fortune um, I suspect though I may be wrong I suspect you are a little bit of a control freak <laughs> I may be wrong about this but I think I'm on the money how do you blend your and I'm going to be, I'm going to, you know, be nice about it. How do you blend your passion for getting it right, the right that you have in your head, with the need to listen to a thousand voices? <laughs> passion that you have in your head with the need to listen to a thousand voices. Um, well, it comes with age, is the first answer. <laughs> so, so all of our young listen, listeners, just survive a while. Yeah, I, I could probably chart my... Um, my control freakery on a normal distribution curve so it sort of peaked around my mid 30s and late 30s and then started to tail off a bit more as I realized actually other people did know a lot more about stuff than I did (laughs) so it is it is all part of growing up yes it's it's you know, I'm a Capricorn. I'm I'm an absolutely bloody typical Capricorn at oh, yeah. that, actually, in the sense that you know, I, yeah, I'm a grafter. I'm a hard worker. I, you know, I've got ambitions for stuff that I want to do, and you know, I will roll up my sleeves, and it and it has to be perfect. Uh, and actually, I mentioned to you downstairs, you know, there's a there's a, there's a book called um, Start Now, Get Perfect Later, and that's a real lesson. Actually, okay. is if you don't get things off the ground and you're waiting for perfection. It really will never, never happen. Um, or else you'll be regretting all the time you wasted trying to refine everything to the nth degree. So, um, 
Yes, lots of experienced people around me. A very mellow husband, I have to say. <laughs> he, is, he is. He is, but he's also a Brexiteer. Or he, he, oh, um, Lord, are you going down that no, road? No, I'm not, but I'm just I, making I the observation. I live in the very opposite of an echo chamber. My marriage is the yeah. complete opposite of an echo no, chamber. I can bet there's you two debated that agree, one out. There's very little we agree well, on. Well, the good news is you appear to have been on the right side when you doubted <laughs> there were benefits. Even know? yesterday, I was. we met somebody out walking the dog, would you believe, and we ended up in a Brexit conversation. Um, and um, yes, I, I'm I'm not a fan of Brexit. No, all, nor nor me. I think um, I think we weakened ourselves and uh, and we weakened Europe. Yeah, you know. I don't. And I, I think um, I, it's hard to put my finger on the winners. Yeah. If I could lay my hands on the winners, that would be a different conversation. Anyway, we're, but, we're not going to. We are not sticking on this. this well, just to finish off that train of thought, <laughs> I would I would just say, and I think then that makes, actually, I think that makes for more opportunity for conflict when you have. You know, when when Europe was solid, hmm. there was less opportunity for conflict. Yeah. And I'm sure lots of people listening to this would say there were other advantages of Brexit and so on and so forth. Um, and, and no doubt Europe itself had become quite a um, bureaucracy, yeah. to put it mildly. Yeah. Having said that, I think collectively together we were much stronger. I and now we have a, a weakened UK and a weakened I, I wish we could have been potential for more I wish we conflict. could have been part of the solution to making it less bureaucratic. Yes, I completely agree. And um, I think there were various permutations on that which were perhaps not explored quite as rigorously as they could have been. Well, if we'd have stayed yeah. in parts, we probably yeah. could have changed things to make it better. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we are going to move off that. Uh, <laughs> so um, I was going to ask you, obviously, you know, very successful CEO, very successful director. <laughs> and we're going to tread carefully uh, around uh, gender bias. OK, I think. So that's the, those are the words I'm going to choose. Uh-huh. Is um, have you experienced that side of life? I, I've, I've no idea if you have or not. Um, and more importantly, how can we all make progress on all of these issues, whether it's to do with um, binary issues or non-binary issues, with just tolerance and equality? I think is where I'm headed. Um, and your view on it? So I'm. I- I'm not sure whether I'm going to be that helpful on this because Damn I, it, I that's was. No good to me. I, I had a a strong mother who thought that she was as good as any man, right? I, and she was ahead of her time. Um, she had five brothers. She was right. the single girl in, in in a family of five brothers. She Irish, lost, Irish, Irish. She lost her father when she was only six years of age, and she had a very dynamic first cousin who became a doctor in the 1920s and she really really supported her wish to become a doctor and so my mum qualified and with really she came from a farm in in county limerick um and she went to university college dublin and um she was she was just a very bright woman actually and remarkably she met my dad who was probably more right brain than her he was more emotionally intelligent in some respects and I don't mean that in any negative way towards my mum but um she um he typical Irish style they had eight children I'm the youngest of eight <laughs> ah, that explains quite a lot I'm and she never, these off here. <laughs> she never gave up her career all the way through yeah. and there were little of the hints in my upbringing for example my mum would never do the hoovering or the housework when no. my dad was in the house and it she never vocalised why, but now when I look back, I think this was just something about her. She felt that she was as good as any man, and that was that was the simple. So I was brought up with that notion. So when I went into the workplace, um, I never looked 
for imbalance. I never looked for yeah. inequality. And and I didn't really find it. There have been flashes. You know, I look back now and I can think of some emails that I was sent or some things that were said to me, but but not anything that I think would have been sufficient to to um complain about. Yeah. Um and I don't genuinely think that I was ever held back. I think I was, you know, I possibly um you know, I mean I, I'd probably say that from time to time, I felt more wounded by a touch of female jealousy or female envy than really? I did actually um, uh, male um, sexism. Um, but I, but that's why I'm worried I'm not being awfully helpful in this. I think I used to have a saying about it to to some of my team, and I used to say, you know, own your seniority. You know, if yeah. you're when you're elevated into a role, you must own your seniority. Yeah. You must start acting like a leader if right. you've been put into a leadership yes. role. And that doesn't mean being arrogant, but it does mean knowing that people have had confidence yeah. in you and have that confidence yeah. to, to deliver your role. And in a similar way, I would say own your equality. Yeah. So don't act like you're expecting inequality. But that, own I, your equality. I, okay. I think what... I don't know where I'm trying to go to with it. I, I, I was genuinely curious. Yeah. Uh, you know, success, what makes successful people? How have they overcome whatever challenges are thrown up in front of them? And there are various challenges. Um and I, I guess where I'm always curious is, is you know, f- photographers, we, we are essentially a multi-million dollar bunch of one-man bands. Mm-hmm. It, 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 we don't have, the, there aren't very many big companies right. of photographers. We're all kind of very little. But the industry as a whole, yes, it would be brilliant if we could understand and figure out the challenges that different parts of the industry might face. I'm a guy, you know, I'm white, middle-aged bloke. So I've got the easiest life of pretty much anybody. Um, how do we all collectively make life better for the generations coming up? How do we make it fairer? How do we make it more fun to be a part of? How do we take out some of the challenges that, frankly, we shouldn't be repeating, whatever they may be, whether it's to do with gender or ethnicity mm-hmm. or religion? You know, and I, I suppose I'm just prodding to see if there's any... You know, nice one-liners. And it sounds like there wasn't. Just have a strong mother is not the best <laughs> advice because I've got a really strong mum too. Um, and, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, but yeah. I think when you have a really strong mother and, and she has five daughters yeah. and three boys, I mean, she was she used to fly the flag for the daughters, you know, very, yeah. very much so. But 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 to your point, um, I, mean, I didn't experience, in my view, you know, terrible inequality or terrible sexism or anything like that. Yes, occasional flushes. And and no, I don't have a snappy one-liner, but being a decent human being is a good place to start, yeah. you know, and, and actually just being considerate of, you know, so for example, this is a conversation at the moment around menopause being more understood yep. in the workplace. Yep. You know, this isn't rocket science. Most men at some stage in their life will share a house with a menopausal woman, <laughs> you know. So, so simply watch, <laughs> simply listen, you know, have an open conversation. In most cases, not all, some women have very difficult menopauses. But in many cases, it it, it is a a life passage. And there are certain things which can be done by by the men in the workplace and the men in their lives, which can make things a lot easier. Mm. I mean, I had the privilege of having quite a lot of of women working for me in my last role. And it was very easy for me to stand up in a meeting with 20 people in the room and make a joke about going over to get the fan. 
you know it was no problem you yeah. know it was a very easy audience yeah. you know when the majority of them were women and actually i would just say let's do it even when there's men in the room you know for goodness sake you need a fan oh no it's, it's the problem is that as a guy i never know when i can joke about it <laughs> rarely is the answer to that usually when it's just me and sarah around oh and... i do feel i genuinely feel a little bit of of um sympathy towards men at the moment because there is a uh, there is a whole football field of eggshells that uh, that you can you, fall foul you, of. You dance the dance, but I, I, I've got a team where two out of the three of sorry yeah two out of the three of us uh, are female and of an age. Yes, um, and I love it, but there are one or two days when I've just <laughs> okay, you know, I don't know what to say to any of this conversation. You you carry on talking, and I'm going to sit here quietly and just listen. <laughs> well, I'm not a great fan of people calling out people for behaviour that is actually pretty mild. You know, yeah. let's let's on both sides be decent yeah. human beings <laughs> and not call each other out, and sometimes just a gentle thing. I mean, you know, there are occasions my husband used phrases, and I just gently say to him, you know, that phrase stopped being used in the 1980s yeah well, you know so <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. You, you, I've, sadly I've become my dad and he's obviously a generation ahead of me um, but I think but, as a, you know as an industry I think the charitable sector is at least as a, as a casual observer I mean I've worked one of my clients or several of my clients charitable sector for a long time but I'm still a casual observer I don't work in it I'm certainly not a specialist in it but it does seem to be much more um, tolerant, possibly by the very nature of what it does. Well, and I, I, I'm going to slightly confuse the issue by saying it, it ostensibly, yes, I would, I would say it's a kinder organisation because many people get the opportunity to make decisions that are coming from the heart yeah. not just from the head and that certainly was a real bonus for yeah. me I mean I thought the greatest perk of my role for the last decade was there were some decisions that I just made because they were absolutely the right fit yeah. and thing to do yeah, yeah. and I didn't have to go in front yeah. of the finance director and explain everything to the final decimal point um However, the unusual thing I would also say about the charity sector, and some listening to this might disagree, but because many people are in the charity sector because they feel very strongly about causes and for speaking up for people that they think might have been done a disservice or might be the underdog, then there can be sometimes more of a habit to call people out. Yeah, because you're the charity sector is used to standing up for people. And actually, I would say, let's just bring that pendulum back a little bit. You know, I don't want to see I don't want to see men in their 60s feeling like they can't say anything that they've been happy to say for years, because mm. actually it doesn't come from an uncomfortable unkind place yeah the intention is often meant with with great heart and great consideration and actually it's just a use of a turn of phrase that was appropriate a few years ago but just isn't now yeah so no, it's, it's, i'm a bit more understanding i, I mean one of the great joys of listening to my kids uh and this was harriet our daughter and i can't remember what came up and it was not i wasn't i was listening to the conversation but wasn't part of it and she was agitated that someone had said, I can't remember what it was, but her view is so different to the generation I had. So mm-hmm. she deals with gender, ethnicity, religion, all of these things um, in a way that I wouldn't have yeah. in a small town in North Wales. To her, there's, she, it's not a case of making a conscious effort. It's just completely, she's so completely accepting of all of it. Yes. And I think yeah. that's, I'm so proud of her and and Jake for their the world they live in yes. and, the, and the way they vocalise it, I think it's wonderful. But for those of us older, of course, we have we do have to make a conscious effort because we are all a product of our childhood. 
my childhood was small town North Wales, you know, and so there are definitely, you know, having to adjust. But I would love the photography sector to be much more, um, much more diverse, I think, is, is, is the best phrase I can think of, though I'm not sure that necessarily explains it. Um, and I, yeah, anyway, I think diver- we could talk it all day, but well, I doubt I think we, there's diverse, no solutions. Diversity of thought is, is terrific. And actually, that's, isn't that the, the inequality, if you like? Yeah. Because, you know, our youngsters, I've got a 24-year-old son, you know, you've, you've got teenage kids. Um, 20s, they're in 20s, their 20s. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the the right. years have gone by. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're both in their 20s. But, you know, their, their pub is the world yeah. because social media gives them yeah. all these yeah, opinions yeah, yeah. That's true. and it gives them the opportunity to actually listen to really strong counter arguments which sometimes have great validity hmm. and actually you know you were brought up in north wales i wasn't brought up that far from you yeah, i was Liverpool, brought up in the northwest you yeah. know and yes you, we are products of our childhood and we didn't have social media and we didn't listen to this we didn't have 24-hour radio there's only radio exactly. city radio city radio city <laughs> was it 96.7 radio city it was it was 96 6.7 FM. <laughs> yeah. But but where I draw more of a line, I think, is is I don't I don't like it when organisations or people on Twitter try and tell you what to think. Right. You know, don't tell me how to think. Don't tell me what to think. And I always used to apply this with donors to the charity. I used to always say, be very careful not to try and tell people who are being kind and are donating or supporting through volunteering what to think that isn't the place you know that isn't our place and i i often find sometimes organizations in particular i'm going a little bit broader with this they cross over that boundary and they Mm. try and tell their audiences what to think and how to think and i don't think that's right i think the dissemination of opinions and valid arguments is 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 actually only a healthy thing um and yeah, the, you know, when the youngsters call you out, you know, <laughs> that there is an element of thing. You know, I think it's you, great. You can't look around corners anything like as well as I can look around a corner yeah. because that's what age gives you. It gives I you that it, ability to think of the consequences of some of the lines of argument yeah. that are uh, propounded nowadays. I, I was um, I was beyond proud, you know. And no one ever likes being called out as an adult. <laughs> but, uh, you know, listening to the kids is, is just, I say kids are in their 20s, but it's just wonderful and it's so exciting for them. Yeah. They will have their own challenges, right? They've got every generation has its challenges Absolutely. and we've had ours and they will have theirs. But it is it is it just fills my heart. I'm a little bit like you, I I'm glass half full. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think we're living through gloomy times and I'm really encouraged by how joyous you are about where we live and what we do. And I think Britain is a fantastic country mm-hmm. that talks itself into corners it doesn't need to occasionally. Yeah. It's a bit of a shame, but yeah, well, but we, we have a we have a governor of the Bank of England who seems to be talking us into a recession. Yes, the world's longest recession, <laughs> or whatever we're going to go into. Right, yeah. I could talk, Michelle. I, I mean, I've still got a thousand points, but all I'm going to we could be here all night. When it's already, you know, I would just love it because it's <laughs> it's exciting and it's interesting, and I find it just. I, I, positivity is a wonderful thing. Energy is a wonderful thing, you know. I mean, I laughed because uh, obviously we'd had a conversation about something I was trying to set up with you. <laughs> Got permission to set it up in a heartbeat and then realised I'd run into it really quickly and hadn't thought it all through. <laughs> and the two of us are laughing because that's the trait you have too. <laughs> We're gonna, I was going to deal with all of that. But in the end, I think we've covered as much as... <laughs> you know, if, if I still have listeners at this point, I'll be amazed. This might be a two-parter. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you to, uh, as I have done with all of my interviewees recommend a book that uh, the photographers out there who listen to this thing might find interesting 
Well, I recently read a book, um, so it's not been out long, I think it's only been out about 18 months, called 4,000 Weeks, and it's by Oliver Berkman. And it just, it's, it's not a difficult book to digest at all, but it just basically says, you know, all of us on average hope to live around 4,000 weeks. And, you know, by the time we're adults, there's a, there's a good chunk of it already yeah. under our belt. And so how do we make the best of, of the weeks that we have? And so it's a lot about living in the present. It's a lot about, you know, prioritising and, and dealing with the stuff that, that really is important to you and thinking about the things that bring you joy yep. and focusing on those. And, um, you know, my my mum thankfully lived to 88 and I've mentioned her quite a lot in this podcast. And um, in, in she died of vascular dementia, but in her last few weeks, she would constantly tell me how fulfilled she felt with her life. And, and I think that's probably what I'm yearning for. And I think subconsciously lots of us are yearning for yeah. fulfillment and that ability whether it's you know our four thousand week or shorter yeah. or longer yeah. that we look back and we go do you know i really made the best of that time i was given so uh, it's a good book for focusing yeah, it's on not that. a rehearsal this is it no it's all very real no uh just to wrap up obviously you have decided <laughs> after 10 years it was the appropriate time to look for new challenges <laughs> broadly speaking uh, do you have ideas what you're going to do next well I've, I've got a, I've got a raft of experience and and one thing I love and I actually loved it about hearing dogs is is almost thinking about my experience being in pockets with threads hanging from them a bit like balloons with threads yeah being able to pull those threads and bring them to, to use in whatever role I do. So um, I've got a couple of trusteeships and NEDs and, um, you know... Yeah, NED, uh, non-executive directorship. Sorry, yes. It's all right. I, I don't know. <laughs> See, we talk business... You know, the business world is the business world, but I'm not sure everybody will listening will be like, what the hell is an NED? <laughs> I've got the Irish gene, so you never know. I might... Uh, we well, can do st- I might start write singing. A, I oh. might write a book or two in, in the future. I've, I always think I've got a... Uh, doesn't half the population, we think we've got a book in us don't we i love writing i'm i'm um, i'm tempted to uh to, to start there and um but but generally you know i've got a i've got a broad range of, of experience in the not-for-profit sector as well as in the for-profit yeah. sector and um and so you know really if anybody wants any any advice on that front you know i'm i'm um, i've got i've got a perspective of both sides and, uh, and 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 a good time spent in both sides yeah but um no it, it's uh it's the, the world is open out there and I've got lots of lots of things that I could be I could be doing with all my all my myriad experiences <laughs> yeah. um, but my, my I have to say a big ch- chunk of my heart will always be with hearing dogs it's, yeah I don't think we'll drag you far away it's a remarkable organization and um, I will always be rooting for them <laughs> yeah well you and me both you know it's, it's yeah. been a decade and long may it continue absolutely. but you never know quite what's around the corner absolutely Ah, thank you to Michelle for being such a wonderful guest and also for being an incredible client over the past 10 years. I'm sure our paths will continue to cross. Fury is one of those people that it's hard not to be inspired by. Thank you for getting to the end of the podcast. I know this was a long conversation and it could have gone on a lot longer, to be honest. There were so many questions I had in my head. We could have run a series uh, of interviews, but hopefully there was plenty in there for you to chew on, plenty in there for you to think about in regard to whatever business it is that uh, you run. Uh, If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do leave us a five-star rating. Please do leave us a review. We do read all of the reviews. And also, why not hit that subscribe button 
wherever it is that you're listening to your podcast right now, hit the subscribe button and then as if by magic will appear uh, in your car, in your home, on your Bluetooth speaker, in your headphones, wherever it may be. Uh, and then you don't need to ever worry about, do you worry about missing an episode? Well, I would worry about missing an episode. <laughs> you won't need to worry uh, about missing an episode. I know the evenings right now are cold and dark and damp. Uh, but wherever, well, they are in the Northern Hemisphere. If you're listening to this in New Zealand or Australia or some of my Southern Hemisphere friends, I hope you're enjoying your summer as we career into the festive season. Uh, so wherever you are, whatever you're doing, just remember, be kind to yourself. Take care.